friends, I don't know whether you have sold anything online before, but uh, during lockdown, I discovered the great delights of Facebook Marketplace. Uh, hands up if anyone has ever sold anything on Facebook Marketplace. Yeah, there's a few of us. Uh, if you don't know what Facebook Marketplace is, it's a place where you can advertise your unwanted goods and find people to buy it from. And so during lockdown, I managed to sell a bike that my daughter had grown out of. Uh, I sold a jumping castle, uh, which was quite popular, uh, as well as uh, a few other things. But the tricky thing about Facebook Marketplace is that you need to set a value on the goods you want to sell. Uh, if you set the value too high, then no one will want to buy it from you, and you'll end up disappointed. If you set the value too low, then you'll have a lot of people wanting to buy it, but uh, you can get ripped off in the process. Now, a setting a value on material goods is one thing, but this morning I want to ask us a question. How do we value people as a church? On what basis do we set a value? these questions because today's passage is really all about how the church can sometimes show partiality or favoritism towards certain people as opposed to others because of the way we are influenced by the, uh, by the way the world thinks about the value of people. And you can see this theme of showing partiality or favoritism in the very first verse of our passage, don't you? Chapter 2, verse 1, uh, James issues this strong command. He says, My brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Clearly, James, is, uh, James sees showing partiality or favoritism to be a problem amongst the Christian people that he's writing to. What did partiality or favoritism look like among these Christians that James is writing to? Well, if you read on, you can see there that James gives us a specific example. Now, in verse 2, uh, a rich man walks into church as well as a poor man. Uh, if we translate this into our, our modern setting, uh, perhaps the rich man might pull up uh, onto Swan Avenue in a top-of-the-line BMW. Uh, he walks into church in a bright shirt with a big horse and polo player embroidered on his pocket. He's wearing a Rolex watch and he smells like expensive wine. The poor man, on the other hand, could not be more different. Uh, he is dressed in an old tracksuit from Aldi. It seems like he may be homeless because he smells and has bad breath. He probably has health issues because you notice that he has a bit of a limp. Now, it seems like these two people are either newcomers to the church or people who haven't been at church for a very long time because in verse 3, you can see that they, know they need to be shown to a seat in the assembly or in the church 
here's where we see the partiality or favoritism, because the rich man is shown to the best seat in the church, perhaps uh, towards the front, uh, where none of us like to sit, but you know, it's, it's the place of prominence. Um, while the poor, the poor man is ushered coldly to the back of the church in the hope that no one notices him. In verse 3, to say, sit down at my feet, is to treat someone as an inferior and as an enemy. Now, I think it's important to see here, friends, that James is speaking about partiality or favoritism of a specific kind. You know, there are different forms of partiality, isn't there? Now, we might show partiality towards people on the basis of their race. We might show partiality by forming groups and ignoring uh, people who are not our close friends. But I want to suggest that while showing partiality in these ways are abhorrent to God for different reasons, that's not what James is talking about in this passage. Rather, this is about showing partiality because we have been so stained by the world's way of about people and about how to assign value to people. So that we see certain people as more valuable than others. Who are the people that our world sees as valuable? Well, it's the rich. It's the powerful. It's the influential. It's the intelligent. It's the physically beautiful. It's people with these kind of credentials who are seen to be truly glorious in our world. And so it's possible for Christians to be so ingrained in this way of thinking that we value such people much more than others. Is this the way you and I value people outside as well as in the church? Now, I kind of wonder whether it's a little bit tricky for us as a church to relate to what Because by and large, uh, we don't see too many poor people walking into our church. Is that right? Uh, we are quite a rich and, in some ways, middle-class kind of congregation, aren't we, in our demographic? And so we may not see too many poor people walking into our church. Further, uh, I actually think that as a church, uh, we do quite well in welcoming whoever comes to us. So, uh, I don't want to turn uh, today's meeting into a beat-up session about how bad we are at what we like to do. You guys do a wonderful job. But I want to suggest that if partiality and favoritism was a problem in the early church because Christians were stained by the world's values, then such favoritism and partiality may not actually be so far away from each one of us. the way you and I feel when new people come into our church. Uh, you know, we mostly have rich people who visit us at our church, but we have also had poor people come from time to time who are homeless or uh, unemployed or may have many health or social 
because she became so glorious in my eyes, every other woman became less glorious. Every other woman faded into the background, like they do in the world. But it's not just because someone else. Jesus is the Lord of glory. He is the risen one. He is alive. He is seated at God's right hand now, ruling the world in all glory and majesty and honor. And so if you see him as glorious, then you will not give glory to the rich and powerful and outward and invisible in this world. You will not pander to the rich for in the light of Jesus, the glory of God is made known. Now we've seen James uh, speak about, speak against John in the past in other form. Uh, but did you notice that in our passage, James describes showing partiality and favoritism See it there in verse 4 when he says to the person who treats the rich better than the poor, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? That's a very strong word to use. I mean, we reserve the word evil for the very worst of people. You know, it's the murderer who does it, it is the adulterer who does it, it is the rapist who the terrorist who does it. Partiality, favoritism, evil. Why does James speak of partiality in these terms? Well, I, I want to suggest that it is evil because at the end of the day, showing partiality and favoritism is actually anti-gospel. It is anti-gospel. And you can see this in what James says in the rest of our passage this morning because uh, he gives us three reasons why showing partiality is by nature anti-gospel. Uh, now the first reason you can see there is that God has chosen the poor to inherit the kingdom. Uh, in verse 5, James says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. It's historically true that in the early church, most Christians were economically poor rather than rich. It's true of the Christians that James is writing to here, and we know that it's true in other parts of the New Testament as well. And so, for example, uh, why don't you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles there, just uh, flip over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and uh, have a look at verse 26. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. I love to hear the pages of the Bible chuckling and ticking. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. And this is what Paul says about the Corinthian church. He says there, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. In other words, the Corinthian church was not made up of rich and powerful and intelligent people on the whole. Rather, 
Most of the early Christians were poor because God had chosen the poor to belong to his kingdom. Does that mean that there were no rich Christians? Well, no, because notice that Paul says, not many of you were wise and powerful in the kingdom of God. That is, he says, not many, rather than not any. Now, some of you might have heard of uh, Selena Hastings, the Countess of Huntington. Uh, she was an enormously wealthy Christian lady who financially backed the work of gospel ministers like John Wesley and uh, George Whitfield in her evangelical revival of the 18th century. She built churches, 64 of them to be exact. She gave to mission work. She funded evangelism. It's estimated that she spent over $300 million in today's terms to finance Christian work. And after having read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, she is reported to have said, I owe my salvation to the letter in That is, the difference between not many and not any is the letter in Otherwise, if God only chose the poor and not the rich, not only would none of us be saved, but we could also say that God is guilty of the very partiality that he speaks against his as Jesus says in the Gospels, how difficult it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Here, the point is that if God has chosen the poor to belong to his kingdom and to inherit his kingdom and to have an exalted place in his kingdom, then who are we to treat the poor as less valuable than the rich? God values the poor enough to choose them as part of his family, then who are we to exclude the poor and to treat them as a household? The second thing, James says that showing partiality is anti-gospel because it is the rich who are persecuting God's people. It is the rich who are persecuting God's people. You can see it's halfway through verse 6, don't you? Because they are blaspheming the 
clear that they were the ones who were afflicted and persecuted Christian people in some way. Uh, perhaps they were rich landowners who oppressed Christian workers by not paying their wages. Perhaps when the Christians complained, they dragged them before the courts and bribed the judges so that the Christians were treated unfairly. Speaking to many of you over some years, I know that quite a few of you feel opposition to your faith most acutely in your workplace. Perhaps you do. Particularly of those who might have been the LGBTI agenda who try to invade your faith views. But who are the ones who are driving this kind of agenda in the workplace? He says that showing partiality is actually a breaking of God's law and therefore a sin in God's eyes. Notice that in verse 8 he mentions an Old Testament law from Leviticus chapter 19 which says, uh, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
saints for his his royal glory. Well, it's because we seem to know that Jesus, the King, used the gospel accounts as a way of summarizing the law in the Old Testament, especially the, the laws about how God's people were to keep its habits. It's a summary of God's law. It's true, isn't it? When we think about the Ten Commandments, for example, which is part of the law, it's true that you cannot love your neighbor and then murder them. It's true that you cannot love your neighbor and then sleep with his wife. It's true that you cannot love your neighbor and then steal from them. It's a summary of the Old Testament law, and James's point is that you cannot love your neighbor and then turn around and treat them as worthless because they are poor. Partiality breaks what is fundamental to God's law, which is to love God and to love His people. Secondly, I want you to see that James says. Part of the law is to break the whole law 
That's why when somebody commits a crime uh, in our society, we say that he has broken the law rather than he has broken our law. Do you notice that? But it's true with God as well. If you break one part of God's law, then you are guilty of breaking the whole law because in breaking one part of the law, you commit the greatest sin of showing contempt for the one who is living it. Uh, there are a few people who work 
in uh, in finance, in, in high-flying corporate roles, there are quite a few people who would be considered to be weak in this world. But there is also someone in a wheelchair who is paralyzed. And then there is my friend himself, who is unemployed because he cannot walk or talk properly. And will now be considered poor Church that sees leaders as glorious, so that we are not so easily impressed by the things that are glorious and glorious. Let's be a church that values the poor as well as the rich, because they too are claimed by the God who created everything. Let's be a church that obeys the word of law without any reserves, without being Thank you.